0: Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of Funding MedTech brought to you by Project MedTech. This is a brand new podcast we are spinning off from our MedTech Money series. Funding MedTech is an interview style podcast focused on exploring ways to fund MedTech innovation. There won't be any new episodes of MedTech Money, but I encourage you to check out those old episodes as there is some awesome content on raising and investing capital. We decided to spin the series off as we wanted to change the mechanics of the episode episodes to be shorter and more tactical in nature. You'll be hearing from all different kinds of funding vehicles and the inner details of types of funding and the how, why, and what. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcast by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview-style podcast on the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations and is released weekly on Monday. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Valentium. Valentium is a contract, design, and manufacturing firm specializing in the end-to-end development, production, and post-market support of diagnostic and therapeutic active medical devices, especially active implantables and other Class 3 medical devices. Valentium's core competencies include electrical engineering and design, mechanical engineering and design, embedded software, software as a medical device, mobile apps, CGMP, contract manufacturing, embedded cybersecurity, OT cybersecurity, systems engineering, engineering, human factors and usability and automated test systems with customers all over the world valentium works with clients at every stage and situation ranging from startups seeking funding to established fortune 100 companies visit valentium.com to explore your next step in medical device development in this episode our host rich missoula and our guest yuri oneskiev with orlando health ventures discuss the details Of their funding vehicle, including fund size, type, investment thesis, check size, and more of Orlando Health Ventures. So, without further ado, Rich's discussion with Yuri on Skeev.
1: Thanks for joining us today.
2: Yeah, no, no problem. Happy to be here, man.
1: And um, you know, before we get started, our to our listeners out there, we we are starting a new format with MedTech Money here. And Giovanni Laurencello, who's the previous host, did a fantastic job on demystifying the MedTech scene and raising capital in MedTech. Uh, the new the new style here is going to be more tactical in nature, focusing on the fund details, what funds like to invest in, the people behind the funds, and what is unique in terms of opportunities that they're pursuing, and also. Uh, where these funds and the macroeconomics around fundraising are going in the future. And so without further ado, uh, Yuri is joining us from Orlando Health Ventures. And so Yuri, let's start with a, a brief background on yourself. How'd you get involved in the, uh, the med tech scene? What's the, the journey for you?
2: Yeah, so I, it, I always tell people that I uh, don't come from med tech, but I grew up in healthcare. And so it was a natural, kind of a natural transition um, prior to working in venture capital, I was in consulting for a long time and all around health systems, right? So, uh, got a, got a chance to understand how they work, uh, got a chance to understand what's interesting to them, what isn't, how they make money, how they don't, how they lose a lot of money in some situations. Um, and so, uh, after a, a long stint in management consulting and, and grad school decided to, to g- come over to the dark side after a short entrepreneurial stint as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the med tech space was actually fairly new to me at the time. Um, but you know, again, it's every, every day is kind of a new, a new learning opportunity and, uh, working with physicians every day gives me opportunities to kind of, uh, get get, continue to get my feet wet.
1: So, so you took the leap from consulting to venture capital and, and how'd you wind up in the arms of Orlando health ventures?
2: Yeah. So before I actually joined the team full time, um, I've been involved with the, what is now the innovation group for a long time. Prior to prior to joining, I was at an investment management and consulting firm called HealthBox. Um, Orlando Health is my main client, and we helped create kind of the infrastructure for for what became the innovation team and um, and the fund management folks at at Orlando Health. So, uh, you know, I was I was kind of there for uh, Orlando Health was kind of a client, so I was there from from day one, helping set up a lot of the innovation sort of platforms that we that we use today. Um, and so it was a natural transition to, you know, to come over full time and it's a great organization they're doing really good work.
1: No, that's awesome. And I always tell folks, you know, I, I didn't start in venture capital or or startup consulting myself. I'm a, I always say I'm a recovering CPA. So in, in that consulting (laughs) world, what, what, uh, what was your background in? What was your training in?
2: Um, yeah, so it's funny. My, my educational training was actually mostly in social science. It was mostly in like in political science and economics. Um, which the economic side is, is pretty probably a little bit more relevant, um, but uh, in consulting, I, I really worked in M and A for a long time, and that kind of facilitated a lot of the you know the financial knowledge and the base that that comes in really really in handy with venture capital. Um, I do think that when you get into med tech, the the sort of financial component is only just a small piece of the pie, as as I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit here, right? But there's the FDA that you have to deal with, and there's a lot of other other things that need to happen before you can start really getting into the financials. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my consulting life, I think really helped understand, helped me understand how a health system would use new technology, how they have the capacity and the money for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the, the it definitely helps to know how to read financial statements. But I think when, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, when, uh, when you're looking at med devices, there's a lot more to look at. Yeah. hundred
1: percent. I always say, you know, accounting is the language of business and economics and finance is uh, the literature and how you read it and so
2: yeah that's right i'm actually going to steal that <laughs> yeah go for it
1: go for it so so that's great and so let's explore orlando health a bit more um so you know project medtech we're always constantly sending deal flow to funds and and when we have these conversations it's like hey if you want us to turn the spigot on we absolutely can it just tell us when to turn it off um, but we know for that fund that we're sending the deal flow to what they're interested in. So for you guys scouting opportunities, what specifically catches your eye, whether it's the type of technology, the stage they're at, the entrepreneur themselves, what, what's kind of that sweet spot?
2: Yeah, so we're, um, we're definitely, I want to say like healthcare agnostic in the sense that we'll look at anything that's healthcare related, uh, but it does have to be really strategic to the health system. Um, and then, when, when we're thinking about uh, which, you know, there's, there's obviously a ton of companies out there. When we're thinking about which ones we actually get close on or which ones we actually invest in, um, it's really nice to see when there's a component of reimbursement, right? Because at, at the end of the day, we're, we are operating a business um, in the United States. And so there needs to be kind of some component that helps that business run a little bit more efficiently. Um, in a lot of situations, you know, entrepreneurs have really great technology but that a good piece of technology doesn't always translate into the market. And so when there is that sort of natural progression from technology being actually available and, and usable to then progressing to the market and being purchasable, um, it, those are two, those are two kind of different things. And so when we have, when we see that natural transition, we really like that. Um, and of course, you know, any situation we get for any of our investments or por- working with our portfolio companies, we want to integrate that technology internally. Um, because that's how the health system help, you know, innovates and continues to move forward. So anything we can use, anything we can build on, any, any time we can have a new clinical trial, anything like that, uh, we like to be involved. And so those companies really catch our eye.
1: No, that's great. And so, so just to, to summarize that comment, because I, I interpreted it a different way, too, because when folks are through FDA clearance and figuring out their market pathway, there's really two paths in front of them. It's we're going to save the hospital money through patient satisfaction, more procedures in the OR, whatever that is, or there's the additional revenue generation. And so since you made the comment of reimbursement, it sounds like you guys lean more towards, we're creating a new revenue stream for the hospital in lieu of a cost savings.
2: Yeah, so uh, I'm glad you brought this up. Cost avoidance is difficult. Um, cost avoidance as a value proposition, I def- like, we definitely understand it and it's there, but it's difficult because it, it's sometimes difficult to quantify. And there's a lot of factors at play when, when you know, delivering our product, which is healthcare. Um, there's so many factors going on. It's not just like I'm buying a product and, and now I have it um, and now I have utility from it. And so um, because of that, the additional reimbursement is just a lot easier for us to stomach and there's, you know, a less of so a risk profile with companies like that.
1: Now, when you're evaluating opportunities, do you leverage reimbursement consultants, for example,
2: or experts to help kind of weigh in on whether this is a feasible product? Yeah, we do. And you'd be surprised, actually, a lot of the companies that we ended up investing in or got really close on have their own reimbursement consultants that they work with. And so, we again, that's a huge win, right? Um, there's many situations where companies don't have a code yet available to them, but they're going through the process of trying to get one, or they're trying to validate that the current codes that are available would actually apply to them. There are a whole host of sort of ambiguous codes out there, um, and so in, in a lot of situations, those don't really work. And so having the consultants on, on board is really nice. And we, yeah, we we're not scared to to spend the extra cash to, to figure that out on our own as well.
1: No, that's great. And for, for our audience, that's that are entrepreneurs themselves, this should be the cartoon light bulb that appears over your head as soon as that comment was made. So, so <laughs> make sure to consult a reimbursement consultant before you approach some of these funds too, to have that story flushed out. Now from, from a, a pitch perspective, you know, entrepreneurs will come to us and say we need introductions to to funds and we always say it's good to get in front of entrepreneur or it's good to get in front of funds earlier than when they're probably ready for you and the idea with that is to get them get you in their pipeline but also get them in your pipeline to share your traction whether it's regulatory development of the product and or funding so they can see how you're moving through the 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 general business life cycle of a med tech startup so for you in orlando health ventures when's a good time for a fund or a uh, startup to really get in front of you?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a good question because there's never really a bad time, right? Uh, I mean, I guess there can be a bad time. Maybe the economic climate as of like six months ago might have not been a, a great time. Um, but in general, uh, we we want to be able to see a company, yeah, like you said, before they actually need the capital, right? So uh, if a company is coming to us and they have six weeks left of, of runway, that's going to be really difficult because that's a bit of a red flag in itself. and. Look, I, I understand that, like, I'm not an entrepreneur right now. And I understand that being an entrepreneur uh, and sort of being judged by the investment community is really challenging, right? So so me sitting here saying that entrepreneurs should, should plan way ahead, you know, it's easier said than done. And I and I definitely understand that. Um, but the other component that's that's really important to understand, as a strategic, we have to prepare to be able to not only explore, but actually use new technology, right? It's not... Um, and we're not an institutional that's going to invest and then just be you know, either hands off or just like really push for hyper growth. So we really wanna use it. And so if we learn about a new technology that's like treating sepsis, for example, well, it's gonna take us a couple months to actually get our heads around how that technology is gonna integrate into our supply chain, how, which physicians and clinicians are gonna use it, um, how the patients are going to react to it, right? There's a, there's a whole host of um, factors that we need to think about. And so the earlier, the better, and in a lot of situations, uh, the answer that we give companies is "you're too early right now." But let's talk again next quarter. That's not a cop out answer. I promise. Um, that is literally we need more time to figure this out. And and if we weren't interested, we would just say we're not interested, right?
1: Yeah, I always say the second best answer from a fund is no, a quick no, because then we know, right? At yeah, that it's not a maybe. So that so from a um uh, to dive a little bit further into that particular topic, so. You need more time. What if a, Let's just say it's not next quarter. Let's just say it's a year. They're they're like pre-seed, and you need to be them at seed stage at a minimum to to really take a good look at them. What what information do you like to see on a recurring nature? Maybe once a quarter, whether it's financial, fundraising, FDA regulatory pathway. What what's that good sense of information that gives you guys a, a guidance of oh the, these guys have traction. This is where we're we're losing steam, or what is that?
2: Yeah, um, great question. So. In the med tech space, like I said, the early stages, especially like the financials aren't as important. It's important to know how you're using money, obviously, but, you know, obviously, like your balance sheet and things like that, it's going to be fairly empty um, or at least you're just going to be burning through money, which is understandable. But uh, a couple of the most important things that we look for first is regulatory. So, you know, tell us about your uh, continue to tell us about how you're progressing with the FDA. Are you getting breakthrough designations? Um, are you, you know, are you submitting five ten K's like, give us a consistent status update on that. That's really important. We have FDA folks in house that uh, are able to actually, you know, help judge the kind of progress and even help you out when needed. Um, The second component is intellectual property. So if you're, if you don't have patents, definitely start filing them, um, and let us know which patents are awarded which ones aren't why you're thinking about this certain method patent versus this other type of patent right and so give, give us a consistent update on that because that adds value to your business before you have a product on the market uh and that's that makes it makes it easier for us to you know evaluate the business um and then three is is hiring right so if you're hiring people if you're bringing new people on board changing your your board composition um, changing your leadership. We see that in a lot of different situations. All of those are super valuable, uh, especially, you know, nowadays, when you look at the earlier stage companies in the med tech side, it, it tends to be a, uh, like a hand, just a handful of folks, uh, maybe just a handful of scientists. Right. And so uh, the faster we can get to know those people as investors, the better.
1: So, so let's dive into that topic of a management team too, because we we've, I mean, we wear our hats that we're fractional executives for a lot of startups, and we provide that consulting service. So, for you guys, how important is full time versus maybe a fractional group or a ten ninety nine support group? Um, you know, we, we know that you know from a reimbursement consultant perspective, maybe we're not using them every month, um, but certainly a finance, a CEO, a COO. I, I guess does the fractional side scare you versus a full?
2: I say it's, I wouldn't say it scares me uh, but if I'm evaluating a business that's supposedly going to disrupt a specific market, I would want at least a portion of the people that on there to be full-time right like especially if you're thinking about devices, I, you know I keep leaning on that just because that's our, a bit of our bread and butter but devices, drugs, things that require a lot of time, uh, I would expect folks to be to be there full- time. Uh, not necessarily everyone though i totally understand that there's you know there's university spin outs all the time that have one or two in the management team and then uh, a whole host of consultants around sort of around the table i think that's completely fine and and in fact in those early days that's probably a smart way to use your money Mm -hmm. uh right and it shows that you have some fiscal discipline that way because you can you can always just bring on a ton of people and, and burn a ton of cash but but not really get anywhere so uh, yeah, as long as there's, I think, as long as there's one or two main experts on the management team that are there full time, that's
1: key. And I think that's a good point. It's it's not a status of whether they're a full time employee or ten ninety nine. You know, we don't necessarily care how they're paid. It's more of the dedication of their or allocation of their time. And if they're fully devoted on the project, that's the 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 point versus you know again, status of employment. Um,
0: yeah,
2: that's
1: exactly right. Yep. Yeah. So. So you know every fund's got a sweet spot. I'm, I'm a bit of a space nerd, so the Goldilocks zone, right, where planets are habitable. So what's your your Goldilocks range for check sizes, valuations, type of investment vehicle?
2: Yeah, so we um, we're, we're lucky we're we're operating out of our second fund, which is quite a bit larger than our first. Um, our first, you know, the check sizes were about one to two million. That was deployed in 2021. Um, And then we, given the success of that one, we pushed forward a little bit. And so now we have the opportunity to do three to $5 million uh, check sizes, gives us the opportunity to lead a little bit more. And, um, you know, certainly there's situations where we can now lead in those series C and series D opportunities sometimes where the round dynamics make sense. Uh, Also, it's not to say that we can't go a little bit higher or a little bit lower. But just generally based on you know um, equity shares and the ownership percentage, three to five seems to fit in pretty nicely mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, and and again, like the as long as there's a fit at the strategic level, then we can be a little bit flexible there.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference in leading,
2: or is it more you you like to do more follows? We definitely we like to lead uh, because we think that and, you know I feel like that's fairly uncommon for strategics nowadays, but. Uh, we like to lead because we feel like we can add the most value that way. So you know when we uh, when we do lead, we'll take a board seat and um, on the board, it won't generally won't be someone like myself or a financially focused person. It'll generally be like a KOL or a, or a subject matter expert in the space, um, or like a high level executive at Orlando Health who has an interest in the product or the technology. Um, and that that person is going to drive a lot of value for that business, right? So, so the goal is is not necessarily to be on the board and um, and and try and guide like a giant exit. The goal is to kind of help help the business succeed um, and help them get to the exit that they're really looking for.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of look. If we build a sustainable company that will be profitable long term, we can create the exit will come. There's no doubt. It's it's the folks that hey, we're going to spend as little money as possible, not market this and, and try and exit early without that further plan. That's where you start seeing a disconnect in valuations, disconnect in fundraising traction as well. Um, no, that's a good point. So th- there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hard things. We've talked about the FDA pathway, the development of the product, the, the financial situation of the company itself. But there's a lot of soft things that entrepreneurs bring to the table as well. And so uh, we always like to say over here, it's, it's always team, then problem, then solution. Because if you have a good team and a solid problem, the team's going to figure out the problem and, and not really worry about the solution, where I think a lot of founders focus on their solution, saying this is the, the best thing since sliced bread. is their baby, which makes sense. So, so from Orlando Health's perspective, as part of the due diligence process, wh- what are those soft skills? What are those soft, intangible things that come to the table as part of your investigation that maybe supports the investment? Yep. It's a strength versus a weakness?
2: yeah so one of the biggest things i love this question because it's not it's really not just the the problem and the solution right the team is obviously a big component but uh there's there's so many great pieces of technology out there that don't make it um but the when whenever we look at uh look at investing in a piece of technology we always try and look at the board composition and specifically get you know, minutes from previous board meetings, because what that does is it shows us a little bit in a, in a board deck, to be honest, just to see a little bit of that culture on the board, to get a better understanding of how the company's interacting with investors, previous investors, or a- any sort of subject matter experts that sit on the board, you know, is it is it a collaboration or is it really one or two folks really just guiding the direction of the business? Um, and so we want to make sure, again, it's as collaborative as possible. Uh, and that's that's a key. I honestly can't emphasize that enough. I think every investor should be looking at board composition and previous you know board meetings just to get a better understanding of how the company operates, how the founder leads the board um, and how the board tends to vote. So all, all of those things are super important. Um, and then the I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of focus on the founding team for a little bit. Uh, I know this is like the founding team is one of the more important areas that that everyone tends to look at but especially when looking at a company that's entering a, a hospital system or a strategic investor like ours um it, it's really important for for those founders not only to work well with with the investment team but also work well with the physicians and you know have a kind of a vested interest to help us succeed too um, so it's really it really does become collaborative um and if we see that 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 really just ties it all together
1: no that's that's great and i that is uh, music to my ears because I can't tell you how many of our clients, or not clients, but just startups in general, don't have board meeting minutes. It's it's uh, or board meetings in general. So it's it's kind of the blank stare you sure. get and say, no, this is an important aspect of how the company is run and, and the governance, um, the maturity of the operations will support ultimately investment in the company as well. So um, I'll end with this question in, in specifics on the fund, then we can kind of move into the macro level economics of where we're at in the med tech scene, but um, I always like off thesis investments. So what's, what's a story, Mm. what's a, an opportunity that comes to the table that might be not part of your overall thesis at Orlando health, but ultimately, uh, you're like, this is, this is too good to pass up. What's, what's that situation look like for you guys?
2: Um, so I can't, I, I can't name the specifics of the deal, but, uh, because it's in the process of, of closing at the moment, but, uh, we so you know med device biotech even let's call it health it like those are all our bread and butter right um and and recently we had the opportunity to start digging into like cybersecurity a little bit and vendor risk management and that is a whole off thesis area that we we did not expect to be into um but i'll tell you what i learned a lot in the process of doing diligence on on this deal um and it, it turned out to be a really really interesting and unique company and it, again it goes to show kind of what i said in the beginning of, of when we started chatting which is that a health system is not just providing healthcare; it's not just using one piece of technology there's so many factors that go into the delivery of that service right there's so many factors that go into the delivery of that product there's and, and the sort of supply chain of how that product ends up uh sort of impacting every single patient and so although as maybe a cybersecurity tool doesn't impact the patient directly. Um, there's always like those indirect factors that that come into patient care, um, and so it helps us to every once in a while think outside the box and think, well, how are we going to operate better as a health system? How are we going to deliver patient care even better? That isn't just bringing new technology to the table, or isn't just putting a new you know a new device in a physician's hand. Uh, but, but focusing a little bit more on those, um, sort of, I don't want to call them intangibles, but just like you said, off thesis, off the beaten path, sort of investment opportunities.
1: And I like that. Cause then it's, it's, it's influencing our overall operations as a group. There our end result, our deliverable, which is patient care is it, There's a lot of other things outside of just what treatment they're getting. Um, and, and I like right. that, that that's good because then you're also attracting other talent into the room, other ideas continues that innovation within the hospital system. No, that's great. So so right. switching gears to the fundraising environment. So, you know, just talking about macro, what you guys are seeing in the market. We've had some, you know, uh, unique situations with SVB and First Republic and, you know, the tech sector's going, your know, valuations are getting crushed there and I I've, I've seen some recent data that says, you know, medtech's been somewhat stable in terms of investment. Obviously, valuations are up and down as always, but um, overall investment into the med tech has not been shaken as hard as maybe the tech sector. So from that perspective, um, you know, w- what are you seeing in terms of markets up and down? How has your strategy shifted in terms of how much you're going to deploy your valuations?
2: Yeah, I think the, uh, especially digital health, health IT software, all of that, the valuations are starting to come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, po- Post-COVID, that was, it was pretty wild to see some of those valuations. Um, but I do also think that the market is being more cautious. So, uh, I'll admit that we, we we're always being cautious, but we're still actively deploying. There's a lot of funds that are not deploying capital at all, or are, you know, just maybe doing one or two deals a year now, instead of trying to focus on five or six, like us. Um, I do also think that the digital health or like the healthcare sort of software space is a little bit more prone to surges in, in valuation a little bit more prone to sort of those ups and downs uh, because sometimes it's a lot harder to quantify value from those businesses right so maybe a virtual care clinic that's um, know, in in some sort of a specialty area um, yeah it probably delivers care quite well uh, but how that actually integrates and impacts our bottom line to the health system and how we can work with that specialty clinic virtual specialty clinic that becomes a lot more challenging of a process to actually quantify the benefit. Whereas, if you're looking at medtech um, or you know, or or biotech, life sciences, well, it becomes a lot easier because you're directly impacting a patient um, as opposed to sort of going through these hoops and kind of trying to justify a runaround way to actually support a patient, uh, a patient, and patient care. So, I think medtech is a little bit more, um, it's a little bit more of an inelastic market than than the digital health side. Uh, But with that said, uh, we're definitely seeing companies having to make adjustments on how they fundraise now, especially uh, we're finding a lot more that companies that are able to fund fund themselves through their first Inhuman and then raise a Series A after that, or maybe even a Series B after their first Inhuman are succeeding a lot more because it's showing that they are not only capital efficient. Uh, But it's showing that they are able to get some of that earlier traction, whereas companies that are just raising a Series A to do their first in human data or to do their first in human trial, it it sort of feels like they might be just a step or two. uh, They might need an extra step or two to kind of catch up on, on the fundraising. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule, obviously. That's just the observation that I've seen a couple of times.
1: No. And I think that correlates, I, I call it the cash curve and it's, it's almost like a heartbeat, right? You're, you're raising your seed or pre-seed, you're raising your seed, and then you're raising your A. And the idea is what mm-hmm. actually happened right prior to that cash spike that caused you to go fundraise? What, what value did you generate? And in a lot of the time it's submission, clearance, you know, first in human, like you mentioned, to just justify that valuation increase and showing that you're almost, um, it's an anti-dilution tactic for the rest of your stakeholders. Right. So, so um, this might be a bit of a redundant question, but, you know, it's, it's opportunities and niches constantly fluctuate of what's hot within the market. So what are you seeing in terms of a med tech specific niche area, whether it's a procedure, you know, orthopedics, neuro? What, what is the sector that's really hot right now for at least what you're seeing out there?
2: Yeah, there's um, I, I, I think in the next five years, I'm expecting the next big change in, uh, in something in cardiology. Uh, we're seeing so much happen in, in cardiology. And it's, uh, I'm specifically thinking about, you know, like um, structural heart procedures. So things that are, uh, you know, devices that are going to impact the way that valves are, are sort of, let's call it turned on and off or regurgitated or um, replaced some, some sort of a, a new piece of technology or a new breakthrough there that's going to change the standard of care moving forward we're seeing a ton of companies in the space uh obviously given the invasive nature of those procedures you know there's it's a long sort of holding period and so it might not be right away but given the amount of traction that i've seen we're seeing some of these companies have i think that's going to be that's going to be big uh over over the coming like you know five to seven years and then um this other kind of interesting trend that i really haven't uh, maybe it's not even a trend, maybe it's just something that, that I picked up on, uh, but it looks like there's, you know, like sepsis is a good example. There's a lot of companies in in sepsis that are, that have software that are focused on sepsis detection. And so, and, and so the idea there is, well, once we detect it, we can treat it. Well, not really, because there, there's really sure there are antibiotic treatments and, but there's a handful of patients that maybe don't react. And so there's this transition of a uh, company or series of, you know, sort of market trends that started in software and are now focused on that same space down the line with, uh, with the device or a uh, a kind of a technology that's more patient facing that actually helps treat a certain, uh, you know, a certain disease. And so um, it's a lot, it's, I think it's becoming a lot less detection of something and it's becoming a lot more treatment.
1: No, that's, that's a fair point. And, And, you know, Moving more into kind of that rapid evolution in MedTech, is that where you see kind of the most disruptive innovations in the next five years or so?
2: Um, Yes. I also think that a lot of the incumbents that are operating in MedTech, a lot of the main, you know, the largest companies that we all know and love. I think there's going to be, there's going to be definitely some disruption for them where a lot of them may feel like they have a really good market share now and don't have a need to innovate or change. Um, but I think down the road, there is going to be a series of companies that effectively come in to help them get better. And there is going to be a push in the market by the by the strategics and the folks that use their technology to say, "Hey, I, your technology is fine, but I need it to be better because there is companies that can make it better, right?" And so there is going to be that incentivization uh, from strategics to to make their to make their product even better.
1: And do you see as part of that trend, a make versus buy shift as well in terms of them buying the technology versus maybe building it themselves?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the um, million dollar question. I think every, uh, every company has, if we even have that, do we build it or do we buy it? Uh, I think, I think generally with, um, with new technologies or uh, not even, not even net new technologies, but when, when technologies are evolving and kind of getting better, then you're always looking at a, at a buy, uh, because spending the amount of money that you would need to actually do the research and and justify the cost is is really tough. But if there's something that is, uh, totally game changing Mm -hmm. and something that's going to recreate the way care is delivered, um, then I think that's a build. And in in a lot of situations, it's interesting in a lot of situations, those, those, uh, shifts happen, uh, for, you know, to define new standards appear, those shifts happen accidentally. Um, you, you see that a lot in like mental health and, and the behavioral health space, uh, especially like major depressive disorder and things, you know, there's a lot of drugs that are kind of stumbled upon accidentally and it turns out that they work quite, quite a bit better than, than the incumbents in the space.
1: Yeah. So, so as we wrap up here on the half hour, Mark, what, um, you know, any pearls of wisdom for, for entrepreneurs in the med tech space or, or, Maybe a better way to ask the question is: What's one thing you wish every founder knew before they approached you at or, or, and/or Orlando Ventures?
2: Um, yes, it just really helps when founders do their homework on who we are, uh, and a lot of them do, which is great. But it really helps when they go on our website and do a simple scroll of our portfolio companies, you know, and who we are, uh, and understand again that it, that it's a health system. So, uh, a lot of times founders will pitch us and say, you, you know, you have to use this technology. I don't have to use your technology. Actually, I need to use the technology that best supports my patients and best supports uh, uh, our clinicians, right? And our employees and our team members. Uh, and so, if you can tie it in with that, it makes it makes my job a whole heck of a lot easier, and it makes the the value proposition a lot more compelling.
1: Awesome. And and last question on the fun side: What's a, a good business book that everyone should read that you've read, and what's a good personal book or or fun book that you've read recently?
2: Oh man, I mean. Um... So I have, uh, I have a copy of Venture Deals at my desk uh, pretty much all the time, and that's written by a Cooley partner. And it's, uh, it's basically a way to understand the most dynamic of term sheets. Uh, um, so it's, it's, it's basically like a, any investor's Bible, I think. So I, I really like that one as a, as a business book. And then there's another one, much less a business book, but just one to help understand how, how people kind of think and navigate markets. It's, it's, called, uh, it's called A Righteous Mind. I don't recall the author right now, but um, that's a really good one. And it talks about uh, kind of the psychology behind making decisions, uh, not only in business, but just in, in general. Um, and then as far as a personal book, uh, I've, I've recently sort of reinvigorated my, uh, my love for, for watches and so there's there's a book on the history of timekeeping um again the the name of the book escapes me but uh it's it's a uh, it's it was written by a watchmaker from switzerland and so she kind of uh in a really compelling fashion outlines the history of timekeeping, the history of time itself and why it's important for for humans and, and how it kind of impacts society
1: that's super cool love that I- i uh my wife and i were just talking about our son and how probably the day feels like a year to him right like it did when we were kids and and how as time continues to move on days get shorter weeks and months get shorter and that perception of time uh no it's an interesting topic for sure awesome well hey yuri thanks for joining us today and and uh we appreciate you being the first guest on our new medtech money uh series
2: yeah no no problem really uh really happy to be here and and thanks for the conversation. It's been really great. Awesome. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.